The following is a presentation of WAER Sports, the original home of the Orangemen. Half hour with more on how the coronavirus is impacting the sports world. Last night it was the NBA suspending its season after Rudy Gobert of the Utah Jazz tested positive for the coronavirus. This afternoon the NCAA announced that its men's and women's basketball tournaments have been canceled. It's a mess. It is a complete, unequivocal mess. It is important to people, and it's important to have balance in life, and some of that balance has been taken away, but it's not taken away forever. It'll be back. We're nearly, we're maybe, we're possibly there. The golfers are back on tour. Baseball players are actually playing baseball, and the NBA and its bubble is preparing to make its return. Remember just over four months ago, that was when Rudy Gobert tested positive for COVID-19. That became this kind of trigger point for a sports world pause, which ends up making the NBA's case to come back a key point in returning to normal. Welcome to Talk Back. I'm Cooper Boardman, and this week, we're looking forward to the NBA's new season. And through the eyes of three people who are always around sports, we go back to one of the questions we asked when this podcast began all the way back in April. What does sports mean to us in their absence and now in their slow progression back? Did you watch the game last night? It's a water cooler question. It starts a conversation, and of course of late, there hasn't been an answer or very many of those questions. Instead, we ask with wonder what someone's binging on Netflix. Adam Shine's one of the best at talking about sports. He does that on SiriusXM and CBS Sports after he graduated from Syracuse back in 1999. And you can ask him about his favorite TV shows. So we did. I finally got around to two shows. The Good Place. Somebody royally forked up. I thought was phenomenal. And my wife and I love that. And we're, we just started season four of Schitt's Creek. It is unreal. I mean, I <laughs> laugh, I think, at every line. And all the characters are great. It's such a likable show. It's hilarious. You know, at some point when, when, when we're done, Max, I'm going to go back and, and start watching more episodes. <laughs> and of course, the hope is he won't have to do that because what's missing right now is the thing that got Adam into the business in the first place, the games and the chance to pick apart every little part of sports. Life's way more fun with that kind of competition. That's something that John Jastrzemski, SU class of 2010, knows very well. Jastrzemski, or JJ, as he's known, hosts Sports Talk on WFAN in New York City. Those airwaves are usually filled with Joe from the Bronx yelling about the Yankees relievers, or PJ from Long Island wondering what the Jets are doing. All of that is based on the existence of sports, which is something that a few months ago seemed unquestionable. My first thought when this all broke is, well, I've had a routine that has worked pretty well for me over, you know, eight or nine years, which is watch games, come on the air and react to them. Now we don't have that. So how am I going to go through? How am I going to churn out show after show after show? And basically the most important thing for me is to live in the moment. Like don't try to think about what you're going to do two weeks from now. Don't try to think about what you're going to do a month, six weeks, eight weeks from now. Take it day by day by day. And if it's reacting to maybe something you saw on social media with an old game, 
Maybe it's the draft. You know, maybe it's you know news about sports returning. You, you try to find things that you know at least they're going to generate some form of conversation. And listen, it's it's not been thoroughly enjoyable. I think any sports talk host would, I would assume, want to talk about games, right? Like, I mean, I'd rather, I, to me, why are you in the business if you don't want to talk about what you see in live and what's going on with games? But, you know, you just find a way to, to, to get through each show. That's basically it, man. When there's a will, there's a way. You know what I mean? Yeah, everyone's just trying to make the best of the situation, which is true for JJ, and it's true for Noah Eagle. He's the radio voice of the Los Angeles Clippers. Pump fake. Kawhi will rise for the three ball. He got it! Dagger from the claw! 29 points for Kawhi, and the Clippers back up by eight. Noah didn't even get a full first year in the NBA. Instead, less than a year after graduating from Cuse, he was getting used to the West Coast. It was easy. Uh, my mom always used to say that uh, my personality w- was very L.A. fit. It-, it was very in line and in tune with a lot of people out here out West. And I, I like to be outdoors. I like the beach. I like to hike. I like to do a lot of the things that are out here. But most importantly, I love entertainment. I love TV, movies, music, pop culture in general. And so to be here around a lot of people that that share those interests is a huge plus. And just to be around and feel the aura of of Hollywood is cool. And and seeing random celebrities or actors, that, that's right up my alley. And so that's been that's been something that I've enjoyed. The weather's really hard to beat, if we're being honest. And I, I loved Syracuse. I loved my four years there. I love New Jersey still and New York, where I'm from. But to be 75 and sun every day is, is really hard to beat. When you can walk outside wearing shorts, wearing pants, like it's the perfect degree, perfect weather for literally whatever you want to do. So that's been a, a huge positive as well. And People out here have made it really easy. Everyone's been super nice, super welcoming within the organization, the Clippers organization, and uh, my colleagues at Fox and and other places that I've worked. Everybody's made it really easy for me to just kind of settle in and, and do my thing. So I've been thankful for that and enjoying every second of it as much as I can. When the NBA returns later this month, it won't be on the West Coast. It'll be in this one place that's Disney World. And Noah, like almost all the announcers covering these teams, won't be there in Orlando when it begins. That in itself creates some challenges, but in the end, it's a relatively small thing to give up for all that playing basketball again will bring. My role will be pretty much the same. The only difference is I won't be in Orlando, at least to start, and... Uh, I haven't really heard uh, whether or not this is a possibility, but just as somebody, as as someone who's who's looking from the outside in, I'm thinking, okay, as it, let's say the Clippers continue to advance and teams are starting to leave the bubble, if there are less people there, then maybe there's an invite later in the process. But I'm fully preparing to do all the games here in LA uh, from a studio downtown, and and I'm totally okay with that. At Syracuse, I did some games in studio. I work for Tennis Channel, and we do a lot of events from studio. And so I've done it before, and it'll be the first time doing basketball remotely. But I know the game. I know the players. I'm still given the opportunity to talk to Doc and potentially, like, assistant coaches or or players over Zoom. And so the resources are all going to be there. It's just going to be a little bit of an adjustment from the perspective of not being able to play off your environment, the no fans is going to be something that will take 
some getting used to, I would say, because as a broadcaster, that is what you base a lot of the calls off of, how the fans are reacting, the environment you're in. And so those are the main factors, but it's very doable. I'm just excited to have play return. And I know that the team has been working really diligently from day one of the hiatus to, to really be ready. They've had a mantra called win the weight. So they're hoping that they've done everything they could and, and, and everything they can to win the weight. And this is a team with a coaching staff, with a roster that feels really confident that they can get to Orlando and make some legitimate noise and legitimately compete for an NBA championship, something a, a team, a Clippers team has never done. And so if that's the case, I think we're all excited. We all feel that's the case. And again, like I said, I think we're mostly just ready for basketball to, to return in its glory. The Clippers are one of 22 NBA teams in the Orlando bubble. Life in that bubble includes consistent coronavirus tests. It includes strict social distancing measures and teams staying in the Disney hotels. The logistical realities are, of course, insane. But for Adam Shine and all of us, it's all just part of the return. You have to say it because sometimes people need to hear it, but there's really no number two. It's health and safety first and foremost, right? I mean, that's that's the blanket we're all operating. We all should be operating under. And, you know, I, I do think the NBA is going to return, and I do think baseball is going to start, and I do think that Adam Silver has a brilliant plan in place. Now, it's not a bubble, and, you know, the as you brilliantly point out, the – the cases of COVID-19 are spiking in Florida and, you know, people will have the virus and be in contact and players will test positive and you hope it's contained and Adam Silver, you know, handles these things with, with grace and, and a plum when he comments on it. And I think he's brilliant. And, you know, I think we need distraction and we need normalcy and we need sports and, LeBron wants to play and the players want to play. And again, it's health and safety first and foremost. But, you know, I think it's going to be great when it happens. I think it's going to be celebrated. I think the ratings are going to be through the roof. I think the quality of play is going to be great. I think it's going to be different, obviously, without fans. And I, I hope it goes off with as few hitches as possible. But I, I think we're going to get back to sports and which will represent distraction and normalcy and, and I'm incredibly, incredibly excited about it. And he should be, because it's exciting to actually be talking about sports. If you turn on one of the stations that Shine or John Jastrzemski is on for the first time in a long time, you might catch someone actually talking about sports on the field or on the court. They're breaking down how the time off helps certain NBA players get healthy before a playoff run. And all of that is great. It's welcome, but it's also mixed with the news that as of Monday, there are nine players who have already opted out of the NBA's plan. That's guys like Avery Bradley of the Lakers, whose son is high risk for respiratory infection, who said, quote, I can't imagine making any decision that might put my family's health and well-being at even the slightest risk, end quote. And that leaves you wondering, where do sports fit into what normal life looks like in the year 2020? I think having things to look forward to is important. And I, I think the players, a good majority of them, understand what their presence on a night-in, night-out basis playing these games would mean for the mental health and the overall well-being of a whole lot of people in this country. Like, I do believe it's important that these guys 
you know, assuming they don't have pre-existing conditions, assuming, you know, they don't have a, a pregnant wife or, you know, a child with like, you know, a serious underlying condition as well to get back on the field and get back on the court. Cause listen, uh, Sports has been that healing power throughout, and not having it, man, for the last three and a half, four months, I got news for you. It has been flat out miserable. Miserable, 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 every which way. You know, that's why, even though it seems like there are a lot of, like, wacky and crazy plans that are being put into place, Disney World, the NBA, baseball being played in front of nobody with the 100-page set of guidelines, I get why these leagues are trying to do what they're trying to do. I think Adam Silver said it best. It's like, for the time being, look, we need to find a way to learn to live with this virus. Period. End of story. That's what we got to do right now. The quote Jastrzemski is talking about came Friday. It was part of a league conference call, and it's a sentiment from Commissioner Adam Silver that he has expressed again and again. We have an obligation to try this because... The alternative is to stay on the sidelines, and the alternative is to, um, in, in essence, give in to this virus. And while on one hand, this won't be forever, and there, this, the, we will ultimately find a vaccine, presumably, or some sort of you know, antivirals that will help deal with the people who, who have the conditions of COVID-19, that for us, you know, we feel this is what, this is what we do. You know, we put on NBA basketball. We think that for the country, it'll be a respite from enormous difficulties people are dealing with in their lives right now. And I also think in terms of social justice issues, it'll be an opportunity for NBA players in the greater community to draw attention to these issues because the world's attention will be on the NBA in Orlando, Florida, if we're able to pull this off. Silver says we must adapt and adaptation is it. It's the best skill during a pandemic. Because if you don't understand the information that's constantly changing as we figure it out, you end up getting left behind, which is something that's also taught at WAER, where JJ got his start. Being able to do what I do right now, like, there's no question. For me, coming on after big, huge basketball games, knowing I had a big audience, knowing that people were going to have a whole lot to say, it kind of prepared me for what I do now, where if I come on after a big... Yankee playoff game, or if I come on after uh, an NFL Sunday, I can go in and let it rip. And that, to me, is important. Like, unfortunately, some broadcasters, they don't have that sense of read-react immediately. Thankfully, it's something that, with my memory and with my crazy, you know, zany, opinionated stances, it has allowed me to be successful. So, you know, getting to work on that and getting to grow from being a you know young broadcaster but a guy who could develop opinions on the fly, read react to what you see, and then you know interact with a co-host and callers, definitely has kind of paved the way for what I'm doing right now. JJ was part of the WAER Sports Talk Department, which was something that didn't even exist until Adam Shine came along, and it ended up being Shine's initiative that laid the path for the people who came after him. He began that talk staff before he graduated in 1999. I'm really proud of, of that. I was proud of that in real time, proud of that in terms of a legacy that has been passed down and, you know, so many incredible moments. I mean, it, it was, WAR is my life. And that, that's, that's all I cared about was being part of the radio station and the history of it and how prestigious it was and, you know, the, the process of, you know, a year of being a writer and waking up 
you know, at four in the morning through a sports cast to get on the air and getting cleared. I mean, it was, it was great. And, you know, I met some of my, my best friends in the world there, Gideon Cohen and Andrew Catalan and, and Corey Probus and, you know, my guy, John Lou McCarthy, who's, you know, one of my best friends and we were the same, same class. And, and we did a lot of uh, games together and talk shows together and, I mean, so many memories. Uh, my first ever game was at the rack. I called a basketball game. And, you know, and I really, I always wanted to be a talk show host, but, you know, doing basketball was obviously great. And, you know, I screamed at the top of my lungs, 5-2 Rutgers, when I think Jeff Billet hit a three-pointer. I mean, yeah, I definitely was uh, cut out for, for sports talk and not play-by-play, but that was, that was awesome. I was behind the mic for Donovan McNabb's final game at the Dome. And, you know, laying out, having the chills for the ovation when he came off the air or when he came off the field and I was on the air and, you know, describing that, that was pretty awesome. But but also really just the laughs. And like I mentioned, John McCarthy and, and Gideon Cohen, like staying up for for breaks, you know, that that Cuse Miami game, the McNabb game that was over Thanksgiving and, you know, and, and being there over Christmas break. And I remember walking across to you know, on Marshall Street where it was a blizzard and it was right after a basketball game. We were getting ready for a bowl game in a couple of days and, you know, just bonding with everyone. It was, I love the Sunday night meetings and, you know, hosting talk shows after, you know, big moments for football and, and, and basketball and, and lacrosse and, and having battles, you know, on the air of whether or not Jason Gebhardt, who I love, should still be, you know, the goalie for Syracuse. I mean, just incredible moments on the air, off the air, great bonding, great laughter and things that I'll just, I'll, I'll never forget, but it's, it was the experience. It was cutting your teeth and it was the relationships and, and the friendships that, that I'll have forever. You heard shine call it a process, the waking up early, the long way to do the Donovan McNabb football game. All of it is part of the process, and it requires patience. As Noah Eagle says, it makes a huge difference in the long run, too. What I tell most people that AER helps to bring out is how to act professional in professional settings. And while you're at school, I always tell people that the biggest thing that I I want to make sure that you're keeping in mind, and I'm saying this almost as like myself, the biggest thing that I wanted to make sure that I was keeping in mind while I was at school is not to take myself too seriously on the air quite yet. So obviously go out when I'm on the air, be very professional and and do all the work and everything. But remember that I am still in college and the whole point of being in college is to learn and to improve so that when you're done with college, you're ready to enter that next phase of your life. And what WAER helped me do was bridge the gap between learning and continuing to learn and then ironing the skills to a point that I felt ready to be a professional. And so that, that was, I would say the biggest thing of, of what I learned was because you know, the, the history that comes with the station, you need to make sure you carry yourself to continue that legacy and to make sure that you are upholding the name that is WAER. So that was the biggest thing that I learned, but I would say something that everybody leaves AER with is, that sense of community and how to work alongside your peers in a, in a positive manner, in a sense of, sure, we were all competing in a sense to, to get X assignment or to do this or that, 
But in the end, we were all a cohesive unit. And that was what I was most proud of, especially of our graduating class. I felt like we did a really good job of, of including everybody and making sure that everybody had their voice heard. It was a cohesive unit. We, we felt like we really did it together. It wasn't one person. It was, it was a, a together thing. And so learning how to navigate that where, sure, broadcasting in general is a cutthroat business and show business, quote unquote, a cutthroat business. And people are always out for themselves in the, in the end, in the long run. But learning how to positively interact with those people that you're competing with, in a sense, but at the same time, you're working together for that common goal. That's what's really cool about WAR. And that's something that I was really proud of. And I've enjoyed seeing that continue after our graduation. And I hope that continues for years and years to come. Part of being positive is the patience, the process, however you want to say it. It's true for your own individual growth. But also when you watch a losing football team for three years, and they end up finally breaking through, which is something Noah knows a lot about. Last year, I, and it's not the Camping World Bowl, which I really enjoyed, but it's the the game that they clinched bowl eligibility and their sixth win against NC State. So myself and Tyler Rocky were on the call, and it was just one of the more fun games. It was an absolute shootout, and it had to have lasted like four-plus hours because the scoring was so ridiculously high. Dungey takes the snap, fakes the handoff. Fakes the pass, now throws one on the near side. He's got Harris open, who dances his way into the end zone. Eric Dungey is a magician. You thought handoff, then you thought run, then you thought pass, now you think touchdown. Put six on the board for Dungey. But I just remember the energy in the Carrier Dome was, was really impressive. You could feel the aura. After the game, I, saw, I even saw Coach Babers, and he kind of, he just—he was so amped up that they finally got over that hump and got that sixth win that he kind of like brushed up against me and he saw me and he gave me a huge smile and a, a firm handshake and you could just feel how excited that he was and the tide that was turning in the program. And I, I really feel like that uh, that program's going to get back on track sooner rather than later after the down year. But that, that one was just it was that night that I won't forget how excited we all were. The fact that we actually, after three years there of just uh, really struggling from the football side, we were we were actually going to get to postseason play. And so that one, it was just that, that feeling. And the hope is we're all going to get back to that feeling soon. The reality of COVID-19 was always going to hit us, but it actually hit the NBA first. That Wednesday night where Rudy Gobert tested positive, where games across the league were postponed for now months, that night changed the complexion of the sports world and really overall ended up changing the complexion of the world. Now the NBA has a chance to be a part of changing that complexion again. This time, it's going to try to do it in reverse. Thanks for joining us for our 14th episode. A reminder, subscribe to TalkBack on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, a huge thank you to Adam Shine, to John Jastrzemski, and Noah Eagle for their time. This was a WAER Sports Podcast produced by Carl Mogline, along with reporting from Max Chadwick, Brandon Ross, and Jenna Fink. I'm Cooper Boardman. We'll talk to you next week.